This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens, welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about Dragon Age and its lore. I am here. I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup, and I am here with my other host. And that's me. I'm Shelby or Sheikup. Yeah. And so we're still on our Creatures of Thetis series, getting back into that. We've had some character deep dives and the patron chat, and we're back with some creatures. We are. We're almost done with this season, actually. We only have a handful more um, episodes. So just know that a new season is is coming upon us very soon. But first, we're going to continue with our creatures, the few we have left. And, you know, it's been a while since we've just devoted one episode to one creature. We've been doing multiples the past several weeks, months even. But today, that pattern comes to an end because we are just talking about wyverns today. More dragon kin, I would assume. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, I, I almost, when we first did this season in season four, I had originally thought to put Wyverns in our dragon episode, but A, our dragon episode was just getting extremely long, and B, there is so much about Wyverns in Dragon Age that I was like, these really deserve their own episode. So here we are. All right. Well, I'm ready for some information. Well, are you ready to go to the fun facts first? Always. Okay. 
So uh, you may know this, you may not know this, but the wyvern is actually very important to Orlesians and in Orlesian pop culture. There are a lot of like cultural things with the wyvern that we'll get into a little bit later. In addition to the Orlesians, the ancient Avar also have an a thing with wyverns. Um, they once had a settlement, the ancient Avar at least, had a settlement named Wyvern Hold in the Vimark Mountains. And this hold was actually named after a dream that their leader had had about their clan members who all basically turned into serpents or wyverns. And so that became the name of their their keep. And then my last fun fact is that according to the World of Thetis Encyclopedia Volume 2, there is a textbook titled Grim Anatomy, written by an author in a mysterious, invented, unknown language. And this book discusses the anatomy of various animals in relation to demonic possession. There is a long section of the manuscript devoted solely to a possessed wyvern interesting now i don't know about you but a possessed wyvern sounds pretty frightening yeah because they're like they're not as big as dragons obviously but they're very agile and instead of fire they spit acid and so yeah and we'll get into more of their um features right now let's just dive right in so like you just mentioned we've already compared them to dragons because they are similar and they're similar because they are part of the dragon family however it's i think it's easy to get them confused like if you're just brand new to fantasy i think it can be easy for people to get wyverns and like drakes or dragonlings confused or think oh like the wyvern is just the next step or or whatever um but they're different they are actually a lot more muscular they are a lot more sturdy and stout than dragons would be so they're usually like thicker more muscular um, and they don't fly Um, we'll talk about their wings in a minute but they are also like dragons they tend to be very colorful in the dragon age universe so that is one thing they do have in common Um, but unlike dragons and all of the dragon kin um, they are solitary creatures whereas dragons tend to be They tend to have nests with lots of other dragonlings and drakes around. And I think actually Inquisition does this um, unjustly, I would say, because I think about the times we've seen dragons and we see wyverns in Inquisition. Well, we see wyverns in these nests, especially in Crestwood and the Hissing Wastes, surrounded by all these other wyverns. And then also in Inquisition, we see all these high dragons solitary alone in places by themselves but in actuality that's reversed the wyvern is the solitary creature and the dragon is the social creature yeah i think i'm thinking back to the dragons and i think only the ferelden um i forget what type of ravager maybe something like that ferelden i want to say frostback but that's the name of the mountains the ferelden frostback you're right I'm not not crazy. So the Ferelden Frostback can call like drakes and dragonlings to come and fight for it in the fight. 
And then you encounter dragonlings in the Storm Coast, which we know there is the Storm Rider dragon there. But that's the only time I think of dragon like actually being surrounded by other dragons. Yeah, I don't remember which ones call um, their like dragonlings to their side. But I mean, I think of all of them, I think the only one we've really ever seen like a dragon nest with drakes and dragonlings and all of the different children of the dragon is in origins in haven Mm. um so i I don't know i find that a little bit interesting yeah um and like in da2 we only really encounter dragons in one place and that's in the mine yeah so they're together there i guess yeah true but anyway let's get back to wyverns um so yeah they're different from dragons they are solitary supposedly um i think that there is a codex entry or maybe it was the wiki page that talked about like oh well we see them with other drag or with other wyverns from time to time but that doesn't last and like eventually the males will like tear each other to pieces or assert dominance or whatever and i'm like okay yeah but that's just that's just a way of like explaining away the dev um the developer you know just not catching that and it's fine it's not a big deal but so where do we find wyverns well they are most numerous in orlay but we do see them in the free marches we see them a little bit in ferelden in crestwood um but that's about it I think it's possible we eventually see them in other places, Um, but they especially love rocky and barren land, which makes sense why we see them, especially in Western Orlais, like in the Hissing Wastes. But they also do enjoy a lush forest where they can be the apex predator. For example, in uh, Mark of the Assassin DLC in Chateau Hain, that area, lush forest where they are basically the number one predator and they're not challenged by anyone other than the random human or maybe elf traipsing through the forest. So they also do like the forest. And also, you know, I said that they're the apex predator. That does include humans because they will eat humans. They will eat all, you know, people, elves, dwarves, I'm sure, a Cunari if they got their hands on one. But um, the size difference might present an issue there. But yeah, so they will. They will eat humans, which you can get confirmation of if you do Crestwood, do the Crestwood story in Inquisition. So I mentioned and teased the wing thing earlier. So wyverns do have wings, but they are very different from dragon wings. They're a lot smaller and they don't actually use them to fly. They use them more to like glide around. I think of it more as like a flying squirrel rather than a bird. Um, And they just like they are not airborne creatures really and truthfully um they are very very good at climbing and leaping and so then they would use their wings to kind of like guide their leap but they're not like a bird who would travel you know hundreds of miles south for the winter um and fly the whole way like a wyvern is never gonna do that 
So they're uh, more aesthetic. Yeah, for sure. So um, the last kind of thing, basic thing that I want to talk about with the wyvern before we get into their cultural meaning is the most dangerous part of them, which is their venom. And they do spit their poison, their venom at their prey. And this is pretty much always fatal. So there's actually a lot of different uses for wyvern venom throughout Thetis. So I have a list of all the different kinds of things they make with this. So, of course, the first item on my list is a liquor. And so they use the venom to distill this liquor called Aquae Lucidius. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, but we'll just go with it. And so basically the venom gives the liquor a hallucinatory effect. So it makes you hallucinate, which I feel like this is Thedosian um, absinthe. Yeah, I definitely can see that with that kind of like hallucination liquor. I've never had absinthe, so I can't speak to its effects. I've had it once and I didn't have any hallucinations, but I don't know. That's just me. Um, So there are like three more uses for the wyvern venom. So it is used to make Antivan poisons, which I think is is the most frightening because you know that this is being used by the crows, obviously. Um, But the venom is also used as its own antidote. And then lastly, it's used um, basically as like a rat poison to get rid of unwanted vermin. I I assume there are are people out there that use it as nug poison. I'm sorry. I know we love them, uh, but they are seen as a vermin in Thetis. So I'm sure that that's used as well. So I see, Austin, you do have a book here. So I'm, I'm assuming you want to make some kind of other comparison with the wyvern. Yeah, I have with me the Monster Manual from D&D 5e. And so I just want to talk this because like the Wyvern is not new to fantasy world. Uh, They are very different in Dragon Age as opposed to the rest. So typically in fantasy, a Wyvern is a dragon that does not have four legs. So they're very similar. So like all of Game of Thrones dragons in other fantasy worlds, lore are technically wyverns so that would mean most fantasy dragons are actually wyverns yes a, in true fantasy a dragon is a quad quadra a quadped i think is the actual term and so but the wyvern has like so when you think about like the arm that extends with the wing kind of like a bat wyverns in tradition are more like bats versus you know, a creature with four legs. But traditionally, dragons in fantasy lore have four legs with two wings. So, but this is interesting that it's saying. So in the in the monster manual, it says, a wyvern has two scaly legs, leather, leathery wings, and a sinew tail topped with its most potent weapon, poison stinger. The poison in a wyvern stinger can kill a creature in second. Extremely potent wyvern poison burns through its victim's bloodstream, disintegrating veins and arteries on its way to the heart. As deadly as wyverns can be, however, hunters and adventurers often track them to claim the venom, which is used in alchemy components and to coat weapons. So that's interesting. So basically what I'm hearing is 
Wyverns in traditional fantasy settings, wyverns have two legs and then two wing arms. Dragons have four legs and two wings. Drakes have four legs. That is also the same in Dragon Age. Worms, a worm has no legs, no wings. Correct. Okay. Well, it depends. If you're talking about worm, worm, W-O-R-N, or worm, W-Y-R-N. I meant a both. I don't know what I... I, so, thought, I thought worm, W-Y-R-M, I thought it didn't have wings or legs either. No, it's another name for a dragon. Yes. Okay. Uh, I may be getting my fantasy worlds confused because there is a series I read with worms, W-Y-R-M, um, and they don't have wings or legs. Are they like giant snakes? Kind of, yeah. So like baby dragons in D&D are called wormlings. Mm-hmm. And then the oldest dragons, you have ancient dragons, but in D&D lore, technically, you have another level above that called a great worm it it's odds are i'm making i'm kind of pulling these out but it's really low odds that a dragon actually reaches great worm gotcha most of the time they're hunted and killed at the ancient status that's sad and so great worms are actually in some ways weaker than ancient dragons because they're starting to get to the end of their age Mm mm-hmm but I just thought that was interesting, the differences and mm-hmm. the similarities that, you know, wyverns in Dragon Age don't have a stinger, but they do spit poison. Mm-hmm. So I just found that interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. And I do appreciate the the D&D comparison for sure. Um, but there is a lot of cultural significance to the wyvern as well. So I think the the most notable thing is the wyvern chase, which is very popular and even legendary throughout Thetis, um, but especially in Orlais. So we see this legendary chase and even participate in it throughout the Mark of the Assassin DLC in Dragon Age 2. This chase has also led to the wyvern species being, you know, hunted almost to extinction. Um, as we'll discuss later, the De Montfort family famously hosts an annual wyvern chase at their ancestral home, Chateau Hain. Um, but in reality, this wyvern hunt is really mostly a show for the nobles. And so their servants do most of the actual like hunting and scouting and, you know, just how nobility hunts work in general. In addition to the wyvern chase, we do have a few other things. I think first is that wyvern meat is consumed in Thetis or in Orlais, especially. It does have to be cooked very carefully. Otherwise, it is poisonous. The chef to Orlesian Emperor Reveal created what he called, quote, a gift of flesh for the emperor's 31st birthday. This gift was a whole cooked wyvern stuffed with other animals. Think a turducken. Many of the guests refused to eat it. Um, So that is kind of iconic in the worst way possible. But, you know, Orlais always has to take everything to like another level. Normal 
Sadozians, normal people in Thetis, like the Avar tribes, consider Wyvern to just be a good hearty source of meat. Like, it's fine. We'll put it in a stew. Um, so that's that's like the food situation. And then last but not least, I want to talk about folklore a little bit because we do have some ties into theology and folklore as well. They are intrinsic to the folk stories of Thetis throughout almost all, all nations, not just limited to Orlay. But one of the most famous is a story titled Andraste in the Wyvern. We learn about this story via a landmark in Crestwood, and then we receive the actual text to the story via the tabletop RPG book and like a DLC for the RPG tabletop. So I'm going to read what we have, and then you can tell me what you think when I'm done reading it. The armies of Andraste and Mafarath gathered in the West, and the prophet went alone into the mountains to sing to the maker. She would take no one but Justinia and Mafarath with her. They climbed until they came to a hanging valley with a small lake, still and clear, perfectly reflecting the sky. And there, beloved Andraste said they would rest. She sat down on the lake shore and said to her dear companions, wait with me, my friends, and whatever happens, have no fear. Then she began to sing. As she sang, the mountains bent to listen. Stars came down from the heavens to be near her. Birds and beasts of every variety came forth and knelt at Andraste's feet. Justinia and Mafarath witnessed this and were afraid. Then from the sheer cliffs, a great wyvern appeared, bearing its fangs and drowning out the prophet's song with its roars. The beast descended from the cliffs like a thunderbolt from the sky. Mafarath drew his sword and struck at the wyvern, slicing off part of its hood. But the prophet put her hand on Mafarath's sword arm and stopped him. And the wyvern came to Andraste's feet and knelt, and when it rose, it left blood on the ground, dripping from the wound Mafarath had given it. And Mafarath was ashamed that he had given into fear despite Andraste's words. He drew his hand along the blade of his sword, spilling his own blood and adding it to the wyverns. At this, the beast nodded once in acknowledgement and vanished as swiftly as it had appeared. So it's very obvious to me that the writers who are writing this have taken inspiration from countless of just general folklore stories, whether it's from the Bible, whether it's from Aesop's fables, you know, all of these things. This is very much, you know, the lion and the thorn story where the man takes the thorn out of the lion's paw and then he's thrown into the den and it's the same lion that comes to him and he remembers him. It's all a lesson in like kindness and not always resorting to violence or things don't always appear what they are, which is obviously like the lesson here, but it's so interesting to me, the comparison, because again, we've talked so much about the comparison between Christianity, especially Roman Catholic Christianity and Chantry. And this is this is a very story of all of creation noticing Andraste's holiness. Like it's not just people or people that she takes, but the birds of the skies, the beasts of the earth notice her holiness and pay homage to that 
Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. And I, I think it's interesting on a couple levels. I think first, it very much reminds me of a story from the Bible where Jesus is like getting arrested and one of his disciples like attacks the um, the guards that are trying to arrest Jesus and cuts off the ear um, of the of the guard. And Jesus is like, stop, like you don't have to do that. Um, and so I see that very much same themes, same thing here. Um, But a a key difference there is that the person who did that is one of Jesus's beloved disciples, whereas Maferath is literally Andraste's betrayer. Um, Another thing I think is interesting is that we have confirmation in the lore that the Chantry disavows this story entirely. They say this didn't happen. They just made it up. It's folklore and nothing more. It, It has no truth to it whatsoever. Yeah, that is very interesting. To me, I think that that kind of shows that the Chantry is threatened by Andraste allowing Maferath to have any role, um, to have any kind of like, I don't want to say righteousness, but for Maferath to ever do the right thing, the Chantry is very threatened by stories that depict Maferath that's not in a just like holy evil light. And even just kind of like showing that Maferath is equal almost with Justinia. Yes, very much so. I was just going to say like he and her are the ones that come and in the story he's listed he is listed second, but he's listed as she took no one with her but these two. And like in the other, in if we compare to the Bible and the stories, often when we get that, it's like the people, either the writer of the gospel or, you know, some of Jesus, what Jesus considered his inner circle mm-hmm. went with him. Yeah, that's another comparison. But that's about all I have on Wyverns. So we can kind of hit our mid-break and then come back and do our side character that's a little bit more than just a side character. All right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What makes your ram so special? Well, he's always brought the family luck. And his advice helped us make our fortune. Your ram offered advice. How do you get your hair to do that, Dorian? With magic. With proper hygiene and grooming. Maybe all three of you should get acquainted. Kirkwall's not brown enough for me. But hey, no darkspawn. Ferelden wasn't that brown. The dirt and muck gave it character. Well, welcome to the middle of the show where we take a moment to thank our patrons. And so at first I want to thank our first patrons, Lisa M and Genesis. And then a special thank you to our Nug King patron, Lewis H. Uh, also thank you to all of our patrons who support us on the, on the show. We greatly appreciate all your support. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash DA Lorecast and support us at various tiers. If you sign up at our first Enchanter tier, you will be able to come with us on 
this show once a month to talk about whatever we vote on to talk about. All all patrons get a vote in what our patron chat topic is. But if you want to come on and talk about it, we need you at the first Enchanter tier. And we greatly appreciate that. Uh, Other than that, you can leave us reviews on Spotify or on Apple. If you leave us five stars and some kind words on Apple or five stars and a nice comment or question on Spotify, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. And so I have a Spotify comment to read today. And this comes from our Varteral episode. And this comes from JP Bebbington. Maybe the Varteral functions simply as a Finx in Egyptian Babylonian myth, as guardians of treasures and secrets, and in some cases, the afterlife. Alluvians are deaf part of that, but not the whole. I think that's a good comparison to their role, um, especially in the myth of their creation with Dirthamen. And I think that's a good, great comparison to the Sphinx in Egyptian Babylonian mythology. So thank you so much for your comment and that insight there. Um, otherwise, come join us on the Discord if you want to hang out with us and discuss more and share theories. You can find us on the Cups Podcasting and more Discord and come and hang out with us and talk to us about Dragon Age, about our other shows, about various games, about food. We have a new food channel if you want to share things you cook and make. So other than that, I think Shelby has some Dragon Age content to talk about. It's not about DAD, but it is new Dragon Age. Content. Yeah, true. It's not that exciting. You made it sound way cooler than it actually is. Um, but this week, Bioware did release a new cookbook um, for Dragon Age. And when it first released, or we got news about it, like last year, back in early 2023, can't remember exactly. It didn't look super appetizing, um, but now they have updated some of the photos and it actually looks a lot better now. Um, Some of it's pretty basic. You may have seen some stuff going around on Twitter already, uh, namely Varric's favorite cinnamon roll recipe, um, stuff like that. It's not, it's not anything revelatory. It's definitely not the new game, obviously, but we'll probably buy it. And um, if it has any interesting lore tidbits we'll definitely share yeah that sounds like a lot of fun other than that i don't have anything else for the mid break so i think i'm done all right let's get back into it have a care where your eyes linger alistair yes well don't worry it's not what you think i see i was looking at your nose And what is it about my nose that captivates you so? I was just thinking that it looks exactly like your mother's. I hate you so much. I was one of the crows you hired to kill the Grey Wardens. I thought you looked familiar. Well, I just wanted to report that I failed my mission, Logan. You don't say. I'm terribly broken up over it. Hmm. Well, thank you kindly for informing me. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. Okay, so today, our side character today is a little bit more than a side character. It's almost a mini character deep dive. Um, I don't know. We know a lot about this person. This is Duke Prosper de Montfort, who is um, one of the main characters in the Mark of the Assassin DLC. So we do meet him in Dragon Age 2. 
Uh, so let's just dive right in. Um, Duke Prosper is an Orlesian nobleman who is obviously part of the De Montfort family and dynasty. His family is also very, very, very connected to the Valmont family, which is the royal family of Orlais. So Celine Valmont's mother was a Montfort and she was a, um, she is actually Duke Prosper's first cousin. And so Duke Prosper's son, Cyril, is also um, the current head of the Council of Heralds of Orlais. So with that context, it kind of makes sense why Celine was chosen over Gaspard, even though she had little to no ruling experience or any military history or really any qualifications whatsoever other than her last name. Um, so that it makes her choice over Gaspar to make it a little bit more sense on the Council of Heralds part. Duke Prosper's family, they first rose to prominence during the Fourth Blight when a chevalier named Sir Gaston de Montfort um, led the cavalry during the Battle of Aisley. He was then given Chateau Hain as a reward. Reminder, Chateau Hain is a vacation home in the Free Marches. So it's not the Montfort's like primary residence. It is a vacation home. A very nice one at that, but it, it is a vacation home. And that's also why it's in the Free Marches. So the family tree. Um, like I said earlier, Duke Prosper and Empress Celine's mother, Clarice, they were first cousins. And they were actually said to be very close. Um, Prosper, like, openly wept when he learned about Clarice's death. Um, and he also led the charge to get revenge on the person that killed Celine's mother, um, which means, you know, Prosper's son, Cyril, also holds that grudge as well. And so he's, like we just mentioned, the current head of the Council of Heralds, and um, they're all very connected, and the family tree is kind of a nightmare. So I, I kind of have this feeling that all of the noble families of Orlais are connected um, a little bit closer than, than they perhaps would want it to be. But yes, so he is related to the Empress. So let's get into it a little bit. Um, what does he do on the daily basis? Well, we know that he spends most of his time traveling outside of Orlais. We don't really know what he does. We know that he um, is frequently found throwing very lavish and luxurious parties and that he hosts the annual Wyvern Hunt at Chateau Hain. Um. And we know that he's an associate of some kind or not. We don't really know of the Cunari. So let's get into the Masked Empire a little bit because he appears in that. And then we'll talk about Dragon Age 2. So as they are cousins, Prosper helps Selene take the throne of Orlais. We see part of this in Masked Empire. Like I mentioned earlier, he was very moved by Celine's mother's death and promised Celine any support that he could offer. He also accompanied Grand Duke Reynaud personally when he assassinated Lady Callian, who is the one that was responsible for the murder of Celine's mother, Clarice. So once their plan succeeded and Celine became Empress, Prosper remains her close ally forever for the rest of his life. Um. So that's what we know from Masked Empire. And then we'll get into DA2, which he appears in the Mark of the Assassin DLC, 
where Talus accompanies Hawk and Hawk's party to attend Prosper's annual wyvern hunt. They are there undercover to steal an artifact from Prosper called the Heart of the Many. So you go through all this stuff. You have to hunt down a wyvern. After Hawk kills the wyvern, Prosper invites them into his home. And when Hawk and Talus basically get into his vault to steal the Heart of the Many, Prosper shows up and he's like, I knew who you were the whole time to Talus. He knew she was Kunari the whole time. He knew that they were there under a ruse. Um, Talus then reveals, well, I was never looking for an artifact. I was searching for another Kunari named Salit. And so they both are hiding stuff throughout this whole time. And of course, Hawk is caught in the middle because Hawk is always caught in the middle of everything. But Prosper already knows Salit, the Cunari that Talus is looking for, and leaves the jail cell that he's left Talus and Hawk in. And so he goes to meet with Salit. And this is where Salit gives Prosper a list of names. Now, this is a very valuable list of names because it's a list of names of all the various Cunari agents throughout Thetis, not just Orlay, throughout all of Thetis. Now, Prosper is kind of a dumbass here because he does not recognize the value of the list. He is frankly offended that Salit has given him this as a reward for all that he's done for Salit. Um, and so he doesn't he doesn't recognize what he's really looking at. And so by this point, Hawk and Talus have broken themselves out of the jail cell. They've caught up to Prosper and Salit, where Prosper is then in the process of riding his wyvern named Leopold towards Salit to kill him. So he's literally mounted on this wyvern, charging Salit. This is when Hawk is able to trip the Wyvern and Prosper, both of them, sending them over the edge of the cliff. Um, Prosper is able somehow to fall off the Wyvern and grasp onto like the ledge. They then have a conversation, Prosper and Hawk. Um, Hawk has like, I think a conversation choice, um, but eventually no matter what you choose, Hawk kicks Prosper's hand off of the ledge, killing him. And this is where Hawk utters one of their sickest burns of all time, which is looks like the Duke has fallen from grace. You, the NCIS glasses. Oh, I, I was going to say cue the, um, dun, dun. Uh, I can't even remember. Law and See, Order. Yes, yes, yeah. Law, Law and Order. Uh, the dun dun. I think it's. I think it's a great line. It's definitely up there with, um, Corypheus's iconic lines. Some iconic lines from Flemeth. Um, it's it's a good one. So I have two small pieces of trivia about Duke Prosper, and then we can talk about our thoughts on him. So he is quite famous, not for being Orlesian royalty, but for being an accomplished hunter. He is actually one of the first people to kill a high dragon after their resurgence. So he is talented in hunting, at least. And then secondly, we know that he's fluent in Kunlat, which is the Kunari language, which points to more evidence that he's also an accomplice to the Kunari. Yeah. Um, I do have a piece of trivia to add. Yeah. Um, in Dragon Age Inquisition, when you are playing Wicked Grace with all the companions, uh, if you click the option for Varric to tell a story, 
he tells this story and then Josephine like basically says something like, oh, that's how the Duke died. Yeah. Doesn't somebody have something to say that's like that's too good to be true or something like they don't believe his story. Right. Something to that extent. But you can get a little reference to that DLC if you allow Varric to tell the story in the Wicked Grace game. That's fun. All right. So what are what are our thoughts on Duke Prosper? Um, He's not like I think I'm medium about him as a villain. Like. I see the like danger that he possesses, but like the game tries to get us to care about this like Kinari list by making us care about Talus and what she wants. But like, if you really think about it, whether it's right or wrong, would Hawk and these people who just fought off a Kinari invasion from Kirkwall really care? Right. I mean, fair. I also get so frustrated with this DLC because I'm famously a Talus hater. Um, and you're right. They they want you to like her so much. And I am just met on her. Like, I don't care. I find Prosper so much more interesting than her. Like, on so many levels. Because he's not, like, this stereotypical Orlesian who's so concerned with, like, the masks and the fashion and the all of that kind of stuff. He's like, nah, I'm like an outdoorsy guy. I like to hunt. Things that you would consider traditionally Ferelden. And so I think he's kind of an anomaly in Orlesian society. And so that makes me like him. And... It also makes me want to see more of him. And unfortunately, there's not much more we can get. I mean, sure, we can get stories about his younger years, um, but like he can't come back in Dragon Age. He can't come back and be a villain again. And like, he's not a good guy. Like, he is no. like mean and your typical like evil noble kind of stuff. Like, but there's no one like, Alice, like, I don't care. Like, she tries to, like, sell you, like, this is going to hurt these families and these innocent people. But, like, if we really want to be honest, Iron Bull is probably on that list. Oh, definitely. Um, and so I do see that. But, like, from a, like, role-playing perspective, I'm like, why would Hawk care? Right. Like, from a, a f- true, from Hawk's perspective, I think Hawk would be like, oh, cool. Let me go give this to the king of Ferelden who I've met, or let me go give this to the new leader of uh, Kirkwall. And maybe they can actually do something with it. Eradicate these people. I feel like anyone who lived in Kirkwall at the time of the Cunari invasion would then have a grudge against the Cunari, which makes me question why Hawk even allies with Talus in the first place. Well, we tell him. I mean, true, but we will talk about Talus soon. Um, So I don't want to get too off topic on her. But I would just end this episode with, I like Prosper. No, you're right. He's not a good guy. He is an interesting villain, though. Um, At least one that I wanted a little bit more depth to. And I think that he had some, just some interesting things that are not uh, stereotypical about him. And so I wish that that had been explored a little bit more. Yeah, me too. 
but yeah, thanks for all this information. A lot yeah. of new information about Wyverns and about Prosper, who introduces us to the Wyvern in Dragon Age. And uh, yeah, so if we're here to wrap up, I just need to thank our Nug King patron first, Louis H. Thank you to him and all of his support. Uh, and thank you all for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DALorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Do you love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden, even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And always remember... Swooping.